Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Welcome to Dear Hank and John. Or as we like to call it, Dear Charlie and Jimmy and Hank. This is the weekly podcast where I, Hank Green, and usually John Green, but this week, Charlie McDonald and Jimmy Hill answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. But first... Does Jimmy have a poem for us? Oh, yeah, Hank. I've got a poem, all right. Well, we're going to split it. Yeah, we're going to do a, a line each. Oh. We're going to read it together. Do you want to start, Jimmy? Mars ain't the kind of place to raise your kids. In fact, it's cold as hell. And there's no one there to raise them if you did. And all this science, I don't understand. It's just my job five days a week. A rocket man. A rocket man. And I think... It's going to be a long, long time. Thanks for that, uh, that lovely poem. <laughs> the, the beautiful uh, lyrics of Bernie Torp in there. He is very prolific. Why is this guy building rockets saying he doesn't know anything about science for? <laughs> Surely that's kind of a fundamental yeah, I mean, uh, thing on your CV if your job is to create spacecraft. Well, I don't think his job is to create spacecraft. I think his job is just to sit in the spacecraft. But it has always seemed kind of odd to me that it's just his job five days a week and now they're sending him to Mars, question mark, because that's going to take a lot. You can't, like, come home on the weekend. You stole my joke. That's what I was going to say. Oh, you! I had that one ready, Hank. You paused for so long. I thought somebody <laughs> needs to say something. I resorted to stealing a joke for the sake of an awkward silence. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, there's nothing quite as, uh, as hilarious as an awkward silence. So let's just have one of those. Oh, dear. No, I was like, that's the awkward silence that we'll edit out. That, there it is. <laughs> Can't wait to see that go. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, for everybody who doesn't know, Charlie and Jimmy have both been making YouTube videos for a long time. When did you guys start each? Oh, wow. I started back in 2007, I think, late 2007. Yeah, same. Well, I was April 2007. I think that was me. All right. I was Janu- January 2007. So, we're all pretty old school here. 
Uh, and you guys, uh, we are now all three of us working together on a show, but you are the hosts of it. I'm only very behind the scenes, behind the behind the scenes, uh, called Serial Time, which happens every morning. What's what's up with Serial Time? Are you at the Serial Time studios now? We are, yeah. absolutely. We're recording with the very fancy microphones we use on Serial Time. And just to say, Hank, you are always with us in spirit. You know, you might not be with us in the studio, but you're constantly in our minds and in our heart we actually, whenever we record. We have a picture of you just above the lens of the camera. Yeah. So that we can always look at you and be reminded where the money came from. <laughs> <laughs> is that is, That's not a real thing, is it? No, but we might do that now, okay. now that I've said it. Okay, do it now. I want, if, I, I'm going to come to England sometime in the next year, and I'm going to be on Serial Time, and I want to see myself okay. above the camera lens. Okay, okay sure. That. We'll get like a huge six-foot oil painting commissioned. With, with with eyes that follow you around the room, yeah. Um, but no, yeah, Serial Time's great. So it's um, it's a daily morning show, sort of waking up YouTube like a fun alarm clock. Uh, waking up the British YouTube because uh, in America it comes out at like midnight, and I'm like, oh, there it is, morning <laughs> in England. Yeah, the, every episode we do, we get at least five or six comments on the time zone. Even now, even though we've been doing it like two months. Yeah, it's like, is that morning? Shut up, you guys. He'll <laughs> get it eventually. It's fine. Yeah. Well, actually, I I I am tempted to leave that comment, and I have seen that comment, and also have, and also know that this is a thing that happens every single video. And yet, when I see an episode of Serial Time come online, and you tweet, "Good morning, everyone," and I'm about to go to bed, I am tempted to leave that comment. It's just a thing that people want to do. It's just how how we operate. I did see you leave a comment on one of the recent serial times saying good morning and I've only it's only just struck me that that must have been a very hard thing for you to have done. So good job. Well, everyone else was saying it. Yeah. My mum always <laughs> says it every single episode she leaves a comment saying good morning. Oh, I love that. All right, well, I'm loving serial time. It's really fun uh and 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 hilarious and and weird and cute. Uh so good job, guys. And uh, now we're going to ask us some questions. You guys want to answer some questions? Oh, yeah. I wasn't told about this. Come on. You haven't been told about it? No. What, what are we doing? I thought we were just doing a little ad for Serial Time and that was the whole thing. <laughs> We've got to answer questions. No, I'm ready. It's fine. Just Charlie, trying to, just trying to asks, inject some of that old comedy. Charlie refuses to answer good. questions. It's one of his rules. You can't it. make eye contact with Charlie. You can't ask Charlie a question. He's like the queen. <laughs> <laughs> you also have to curtsy when you meet him for the first time. <laughs> well, luckily, I did that, but just because I was be super feeling awkward. <laughs> There's nothing worse than an awkward curtsy, is there? Is there? <laughs> it's an awkward movement at the best of times. I appreciated it all the same. Did you actually curtsy big... when we met? I can't remember. No, I made that up. Oh. I mean, it's possible. I do sometimes curtsy. I think that it's kind of awesome. <laughs> I, li I like the curtsy as, as an introduction. I... Uh, I, I think that it is a uh, it is an interesting body movement that is that is uh, some can it, it is somewhat complicated in, in its uh, in its control of of all of your body parts and so I find it to be more uh, visually pleasing than a bow or a handshake. Yeah, do you think that's where it evolved from? Do you think it's just essentially a fancy bow? I'd be quite interested to hear the history of the curtsy. Well. We will. Uh, who started that? Who's the first person to do a curtsy? We're gonna we're gonna get people telling us about that on Twitter. I do not doubt it. Oh, I cannot <laughs> wait! I cannot wait. It's uh, it's it's at cool like and at high underscore Jimmy and at Hank Green. So let us know what's the history of the curtsy. Shall I do the first question? Yeah, yeah, do the first question and put your name first because that's how it works. Haley asks. 
Dear Charlie and Jimmy and Hank, how do you avoid being pretentious when you're intelligent? <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is a really hard one. Well, for, I, I uh, first want to say that pretentious might not have the exact definition that, that you think. Uh, it, it, pretentious is like trying to look important or trying to look intelligent or, and often more intelligent or important than you actually are. So, so how do you avoid looking pretentious while you're intelligent? Maybe is both the question you wanted to ask and also a really good way of illustrating how to look pretentious, <laughs> which is what I just did by correcting your grammar on that question. Yeah, I mean, so pretentious is kind of the same. It's like having a delusion of grandeur, isn't it? So I'd say if you are genuinely quite knowledgeable about a topic and you're speaking about it sincerely and passionately, no one will ever see that as pretentious because it's it's coming from an honest place. You'll only come across as pretentious if you're trying to make out that you're cleverer than you actually are. Like you're just trying to sound smart for the sake of sounding smart when actually you don't know what you're talking about. Well, I don't know that I agree. I feel like you can sometimes be honestly smart, like just really, really smart, and then other people can see you. And if they don't know what you're saying, they can sometimes be like, uh, he, he's, he's just a bit pretentious, isn't he? Because it is both things. It's both, you know, uh, not actually having the actual insight and trying to pretend that you have, but it's also just a perception that people have of you. Well, what I tend to do, if I have a fact that I want to get across, I always kind of try and preface it with some kind of... I don't know this for sure, and the universe is a confusing place, and who knows really what time is, but here's this thing. I always try and slip like a vibe of that into whenever I'm putting across a fact, like here's something that I found out, kind of separate it from me. Yeah, and I think um, there's just a case of, it's a case of being aware if somebody maybe isn't following you, if you're trying to explain something. So if somebody seems like they're oh, a little yeah. bit lost when you're chatting about something that you happen to know a lot about, just just be aware of that and explain things um, in a slightly simpler or more accessible way. And also mm -hmm. also be aware of the fact that uh, people might not care about the thing that you're excited about. And so they might be think that you're pretentious because you continually, uh, you know, like are really excited about things that you're really excited about. And they're like, why does he keep or why does this person... I've, obviously just projected this onto myself. Why does this person uh, <laughs> continually try and make themselves look so smart? Uh, because they just might have different, uh, different interests than you. Um, and that, that's, a, that's a, a, a whole different kind of intelligence where you're looking at a person and, you, and you're saying, uh, you know, like, what is this person, like, what are they into and how, how do I, you know, interact with them in a way that will make them excited to be my friend and be talking to me? Um, and, uh, and also, how do I make this information sort of more interesting to them? Like, how do I put myself in their shoes and say, like, what's, what's, how is this topic going to be? Because everybody, you know, everybody is going to... Uh, get excited about things for different reasons. Um, so maybe, you know, th think about that. I, I have this problem, though. And, and sometimes people will say things to, to me, and I, I have this awful habit of saying, do you actually want to know? Um, because, uh, which is, which is a really pretentious thing to say, but it's like, it's my honest response. Like people are like, God, why don't we have wireless chargers yet? Why do we have to have all these cords all around all the time? And I'm like, well, there's an answer to that question. Uh, but do you actually want to know it? Because it's going to take about five minutes to explain. 
and, uh, and and well, how do you think how do you think you could phrase that better then to be less pretentious? Or I should you just not say that? I at think all? I think I should just not bring it up. I think I think when I know the answer to a question that people are asking rhetorically, uh, I like I think I should just be like they are not they are not actually interested in this. But then mm-hmm. then sometimes I'm like, well, they keep asking about it. Are they? Do they want to know? Should should I launch into a five minute monologue on you know in power induction and and <laughs> electromagnetism? Hey, like, that's a monologue I want to hear. Sounds <laughs> well, it's great. not going to happen right now in serial time. All right, this is in serial time. I thought I was on <laughs> your just show the for effect a second. We have. Um, I um I, I think that's right though. I think actually you can just sort of if you feel like you're being a little bit pretentious or a little bit nerdy, just own up to that. Be like, I'm aware that I sound like a massive nerd now, so stop me if this gets boring. But yeah, and then go off. No, on that's your, that's yeah. excellent advice for me. That is what I will do next time. I will be like, nice. Look, the, I'm a nerd, and I and I kind of want to launch. I kind of want to do that, but be aware that I know that I that <laughs> you might want me to shush up any second now. <laughs> okay, cool. I like this. This is from um, Eileen, and she says, "Dear Jimmy." Charlie and Hank, what are your opinions on school uniform on school uniforms and clothing restrictions in non-uniform schools? Mm. Wow. Uh, I yeah, I I went to a school that had very few clothing restrictions, uh, though I'm sure that there were plenty, and I'm sure that they mostly restricted the clothes of of, of females because that's how it goes. Uh, you can't distract the boys. Um, but yeah, my, my, uh, I, I, uh, did you guys have school uniforms? Yeah. I, I, when I was younger, I can remember watching American teen movies and always being baffled by this idea that in America you can go to school wearing trainers and jeans. And really jealous. Yeah. I had school uniforms as well. I also went to an all boys school, so I didn't ever experience any kind of like restrictions that were put on girls. It was just restrictions on dudes. Yeah. Did you have like a smart uniform, Jimmy? Yeah, it was quite smart. We, we wore a tie. In fact, I think the last time I wore a tie in life was because I had to at school. <laughs> That's the only time it's ever happened. But I quite liked it because it meant that you never had to think about what you wanted to wear for school. And everyone was kind of on the same level. Like, I think the reason the uniform thing is a thing in the UK is because it's supposedly um, it, it gets rid of any class barriers because, like, everyone's dressed the same. Like, you can't tell which kids are less well off than other kids, um, which I quite like. Because it was always quite stressful when we had non-uniform days and you had to think of something cool to wear to school because there's a huge deal around it. So we'd maybe have one day of the year where for charity you could come into school like wearing your cool sports top or a baseball cap. Yeah. And I always found that quite stressful. I was like, I don't know what to wear. I need to make a good impression. Oh, God. I feel like, and I, I think this is just, this comes from like, if you go to school every day wearing a uniform, the one day of the year where you don't have to do that kind of becomes like you want to treat it like it's a free day because you're kind of used to wearing those clothes on the weekends. So I feel like less work happens, like less work tends to happen on those days where you can just wear whatever you want. But I assume that if you do wear whatever you want every single day of the week, that that doesn't happen. That's my guess anyway. So what are these what are these clothing restrictions then? What 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 are you not allowed to wear within that within the realm of non-school oh, uniform? Uh, well, there's there you know when you can wear anything, there are things you you can't wear. Like you can't have curse words or references to drugs on your clothes. Uh, you can't like there's a a limit to the length or the shortness of of like uh, shorts and skirts. Oftentimes, like it has to be a certain distance from the knee. And, uh, and, and there is also sometimes, 
restrictions on the 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 depth of the cut of the neck. Oh wow! Is the okay. way that our school administrator would say that, and yeah. Uh, it, Wait. So, is there a teacher wandering around with a with a ruler then, and just making sure that the come here? No, that's yep. a centimeter. How go home? <laughs> wow. <laughs> it. Yeah. I mean, the it, to me, I am in favor of letting of of allowing people to express themselves and and identify and like and uh, create their identities uh, in in whatever ways they can. That doesn't seem to be a negative thing to allow people to do. But I do totally understand where uh, you guys are coming from, where, you know, you sort of, like, erase that very, you know, very common and very difficult to ignore uh, class distinction. Um, though It's weird, because I feel like in any other scenario, I'd, I'd, like, completely agree with you. But I think it's just because living in that world of having uniforms and it never really being a problem, it's just kind of what we're used to, I guess. Mm-hmm. And there was always, like... A certain amount of freedom to do some stuff like it would it would always be quite surprising I think to anybody looking at kids wearing school uniforms like how much of themselves they can get across by like the way that they wear their tie and what they Mm -hmm. might wear underneath their shirt and like putting their blazer on their head or whatever it might be like there's (laughs) always like ways to make it so that you can show people the kind of person you are so I never really felt restricted but maybe I would have if I was not used to it Oh yeah, I remember that. There's a whole, there's a whole like load of etiquette around how you wear your school uniform at my mm-hmm. school. So we had um, a shirt and a tie, and then a jumper over the shirt. And if you had the collars of your shirt over your jumper, that was like a signifier that you were ma- you were a massive nerd. Like mm-hmm. that was the thing that you didn't want to do. You'd get completely ripped apart for that. So it's funny how even within a uniform, like kids still find ways. Oh yeah, of of kind of not only expressing yourself but putting um, like cool signifiers in there for want of a better phrase well eileen i think that what we've got for you is uh basically stories about our schoolhood and very few actual opinions because maybe this isn't a topic that super matters a ton when it comes to uniforms though i do feel like clothing restrictions when it comes to that uh seem to out uh abnormally weigh upon the, uh, the the females of the world, which seems a little bit odd to me. Uh, so maybe school uniforms are a good way to just avoid that particular problem and say, everybody wear this. Let's not talk about anything else. Yeah. It's my turn. We have a question from Courtney who says, Dear Hank and Charlie and Jimmy, this upcoming presidential election will be my first time able to vote for a president. It is both exciting and daunting. I think that... I have a general idea of who I might vote for, but I was wondering if there was any way to keep abreast on the presidential candidates. Oh, wow. You guys aren't American, but you are a politically active British people. Oh, yeah. We have politics so here. You c- you yeah, can- we had um, yes. a very exciting election a few months ago. <laughs> yeah, was it exciting? Um, I found it quite depressing, personally. But- yeah, it, I mean, the result was depressing, but the lead up to it, there was some excitement there. I think there was a lot of mm-hmm. optimism, like, oh, maybe this is the time it will change. Like maybe the good guys will win, mm. um, and it did change. It got worse. Yeah, it got a lot. It got a lot worse. It got a lot, lot worse. Um, so we now don't have an NHS. Sorry about that. <laughs> and we've decided to get rid of school. <laughs> we don't have school anymore. And bring back killing foxes, everyone. <laughs> oh yeah, and we can now kill foxes. <laughs> so it's really great. It's a really brilliant place to live. Um, I don't understand the U.S. election system particularly. So. Um, oh yeah, I, I, it's very strange. It's very. It's we got. We got a whole bunch of. 
a bunch of weirdness in our election system. But uh, but I think that it the the first time you vote, the first time you're getting into this, uh, it's definitely daunting task to be like, okay, here are all the issues. There's like. 85 things I'm supposed to care about, and I'm going to have an opinion on all of them, so I better get one quick. And that's terrifying. <laughs> like, why? And that's, I think, why a lot of people don't, a lot of young people, like, their first elections, they might not vote, just because, like, they haven't had time to, like, deal with that and internalize all of their opinions about these things, and because they have to, you know, make ends meet and, and you know, buy Gatorade and ramen noodles. <laughs> so the... Uh, there are uh, places, though, there's there's this website called, I think it's called isidewith.com, which sort of walks you through all of the issues. And it's like, what do you think about gun control? What do you think about bombing other countries? What do you think about health care? And sort of just based on your who you are and what you think, it will then, like, not only it, it walks you a little bit through the issues themselves and, like, the different perspectives people have on them. And then, uh, and then it tells you who you are most aligned with politically in terms of the current field of presidential candidates, which I did and found uh, very accurate. So. That's really cool. That sounds really, really great. I think there's a similar app for UK stuff as well, mm-hmm. um, which I used uh, this year, and it worked pretty well. Um, but I guess it's just like sort of learning about any new thing, isn't it? You, you just need to go away, do a little bit of research, try not to be overwhelmed by it all because it is quite like a clunky, mm-hmm. complicated thing. And it's like it almost feels like quite a scary decision to make, like to choose the political party or person you want to align yourself with. So just try not to be overwhelmed by that and um, just try your best to fill, form an, an independent opinion and not be too swayed by friends or family members or stuff that people say on Twitter. Yeah, on that point of just feeling like you, you you feel like you have to care about absolutely everything all of a sudden, when I first started, like, when I was, it was my first time to vote, what I did do is I just, like, looked to see what the things were that were most important to me. And that was kind of, that's what I use as my kind of benchmark for the figuring out the kind of parties that I might be interested in. But, I mean, that in itself is quite hard, isn't it? Because you sort of have oh, to yeah. decide which issues you care most about. Like, do I care most about NHS or, like, should education be the thing? I did always find instinctively that was there was at least one thing that was like, oh, yeah, but this, yeah, I, I obviously really care about that. So if you can find whatever that thing is, if you can just sort of trust your gut of, oh, yeah, that thing, I, I education, actually, yeah, that's the thing I really care about, then maybe just veer around that area and see what everyone's policies are on education. Yeah, and just don't vote for one of the bad ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, just make sure you don't ruin your country. Yeah, it's as simple as that, really. Wow, that was fantastic advice. I think you guys are better at this than me and John are, and you should take over the show (laughs) and have your own. Maybe you should do this every morning, five days a week. (laughs) What, Charlie and Jimmy's political bit, where we just say, (laughs) don't vote for the bad guy. Just talking, just just generally talking together, like I think every morning. Uh, like you should just, you guys should just talk about stuff. I think you might have already had that idea, Hank. Jimmy, do you want to do another question? Yeah, I think it's your turn, though, isn't it, it is, Charlie? It, it is my turn. I mean, I can read one out. If oh, you like. I'm sorry, God, kids. How Don't do I? How are you supposed queue. to keep track? You're both British. I can't. How do you know you didn't tell? I really hope that for for non-British viewers that you will be able to tell me and Jimmy apart. I think we have pretty distinctive voices, but you do have very yes, okay. Yes. Good. Um, all right, we got one from Lily. She asks. Dear Charlie and Jimmy and Hank, hello. What are you supposed to do with other people and your uh, with other people and your stomach? That is how it's phrased. And your stomach makes a noise 
that sounds like a fart, and you want to tell everyone it wasn't a fart, but that would just make it sound like it was a fart. <laughs> what? <laughs> Lily, what are you on about? <laughs> <laughs> what? Your stomach makes a noise, and it sounds like a fart, and you want to say... That wasn't a fart, but as soon as you say that was a oh, fart, okay. so everyone's like, it was a fart, though, wasn't it? Lily's stomach is making fart noises, essentially. Yes, and That's she, wants, what we need to she wants to know what to do about it. <laughs> I would say seek medical advice. Oh, no, um, no. As it, no, no, it's fine. Do you know what? I, I've actually got experience of this. I was once filming for a TV show, and I had a microphone on under my shirt, a little uh, lapel microphone, and I wasn't feeling great that day. I think maybe I'd had quite a late night. And my stomach was doing things I didn't want it to be doing the next day. And apparently this was very audible on the <laughs> microphone, which was under my shirt. So embarrassingly, in front of a whole crew, a whole room full of people, proper professional people with cameras and, and lights, had to stop filming until my stomach stopped making these noises Whoa. because it was ruining the filming. Oh it was so God. embarrassing. So I totally feel your pain, Lily. And you kind of just have to laugh it off like any embarrassing thing. Yeah. Yeah, the uh, the trick to to dealing with embarrassment is is uh, self confidence, which is a trait that is entirely impossible to acquire, as far as I can tell. Uh, oh no! Come on, <laughs> can acquire it. Uh, it's fake it till you make it, isn't yes. it? That's uh, that's what I've been trying to do. That you you just try and pretend you just act like a confident person, and then eventually you start being a more confident person. That's always been my technique. That does. But I think I definitely agree. It's yeah. just. You just say, uh, just, I mean, it, it really, you just sort of have to try and figure out how to not care about it as much. Uh, that's, and to, to get that across to people. Turn it into a joke. Say, guys, it's just my stomach. Yeah. I, I haven't farted, but I have pooped myself. So <laughs> you, I'm going to have to leave. And then, and then, you know, I think that will sort out who your real friends are as well. Uh, no, mm-hmm. you, you got to say, uh, look, I ate a, a demon and i was helping my family it was living in the house there's only one way <laughs> to kill it and it was to eat it alive it was a very small demon about the size of a uh, about the size of a coin and i just <laughs> took it with water and now it's in there it's doing its thing but you know i've uh, i'm going to it's digesting away and it's it's uh, it won't be a problem tomorrow i i my my bigger problem personally is sometimes i really have to fart in public and like, like, yeah, it's just not going to not happen. And so even sometimes you have to be like, look, you know what? Just ha- I have to be like that old guy who just doesn't care anymore. And it's just like, <laughs> and then that's, do, do you not like make an event of it before it happens? That's what I, I do sometimes. Oh, that's a good idea. I, just, I, 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 I build everyone up to it before, <laughs> before it comes. Uh-oh. Just like quiet in the room to make sure everyone can hear it. Comes out, and then we try to move on. Right, so tiny little drum roll, and then that's the crescendo. <laughs> yeah, I do that a lot. Oh, my God, I love it. <laughs> well, we've got, I well, feel like we've got some really good advice all around here. That's good. Yeah, there you go, Lily. All right, so uh, Catherine asks, she says, Dear Jimmy, Charlie, and Hank, I'm coming up on the one-year anniversary of starting my first full-time job. I'm enjoying it, and I've learned a ton so far, and I'm planning to stay for a while longer, but also trying to think proactively about my future. Do you have any advice for developing an early career, making adult decisions about when and where to move or how to go about looking for new opportunities? I'm also curious on how one decides when to go back to school and get a grad degree. Mm. Oh, wow. There's a lot in there, Catherine. Yeah. 
I, uh, I mean, that's life, isn't it? That is, that is life in a question. It's hard. How do you make decisions about big, important things? It's really, really hard. And I feel like I haven't, I feel like I haven't lived a lot of this stuff myself. Like I came straight out of school, went into making YouTube videos, never had to think about getting a graduate's degree, never had to, yeah, I just, I, I feel like I have to sit this one out because I, I would be having more trouble than you are, Catherine, right now. I think, yeah, I can, I can totally see how it's really easy to get trapped in full-time employment because when somebody starts paying you money every month to do a thing, that's quite, it's quite easy to get used to that. Even if you don't necessarily enjoy the job, the money thing is quite nice, especially if you've not had that before. Um, so I guess it's just about, I don't know, maybe looking, looking at where you want to be, kind of your dream job, your dream life scenario, seeing other people who are in similar positions to that and maybe looking at how they got there and following a similar route to them. I don't know. If you have a job that uh, doesn't, it doesn't look to you like this job is going to lead to uh, better jobs within the same company or, uh, or you continuing to, to develop your skills and, uh, and, and, you know, continuing to do different cool things that excite or interest you, um, then you probably do want to be looking around at least semi-actively uh, at like things that your friends are doing, things that uh, if you've been through college already, things that your you know people who graduated around the same time as you are doing, and uh, and yeah, and and being open to to that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with looking for other jobs if you you know while you have a job. That is a totally normal thing, and. You shouldn't be devoting like tons and tons of time to that just because you probably don't have that time to devote and you should also have a life and enjoy things. But yeah, I, I think it's totally normal. And I expect, you know, when I have employees that I feel like they are being underutilized, I expect them to be looking for other jobs. And also as an employer, I think that it's my responsibility to make sure that they aren't being underutilized at the company. So if I have an opportunity for them to advance and to be doing something more interesting than their current job, then I feel like that's my responsibility. And if I don't do that, then I should expect that they will eventually leave. Uh, and, and that's one reason why I, you know, when I, when I look at the people I've got working for me, I'm like, I need to make sure that this person in particular, uh, we find something for them that's more interesting or less awful than their current job. Uh, and, and then they will not leave and go away and not be working for me anymore. So, you know, I, I think that there's a lot to be said for being really good at the job you're at in right now, because that will affect, you know, you, like you, you will get better, uh, recommendations from your current employer, and it will also potentially lead for to uh, getting, you know, promoted at your current position, uh, whatever that position is. And yeah, so I, I, you know, definitely don't just think like this job is a full time job and like it's just the money. Uh, it, it's always good to be thinking about how you can do your job really well, and I think that that has in my life at least led to more personal satisfaction when I'm not thinking about it as just a paycheck. I'm actually thinking about it as like, this is part of my life and I'm spending a lot of time doing this show. I, sh I should be doing it. You know, I should be believing in and doing the best job I can, even if it's not a job that I particularly love or I think will lead me to my ultimate dream. Um, I think that, you know, working hard at whatever job you have does kind of lead you toward your ultimate dream because it, 
exemplifies your work ethic and 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 how you approach life. Um, so, uh, yeah, I've I've had I've had good luck with just working hard, even if I don't really like my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think you know when you reach that point where you not only don't like a job, but but maybe even if you do like a job, but feel like you're not really getting anything, anything out of it, then maybe that's a clue that it's time to move on. Yeah. Like if you're not getting anything out of this anymore, if you're not developing with it, then it's like, well, what's, what's the point? Yeah. And you can, you can absolutely, I encourage you to talk to your, your supervisory manager, your boss about that. Because, uh, when, uh, when I have, I, I always, I like that when people come to me and they say like, look, I feel like I could be doing more interesting things and here are some of the more interesting things I think I could be doing. Um, and you know, I often agree with them and I'm like, hey, yeah, good ideas because I can't have all the ideas. It's quite a hard one to answer though without knowing what Catherine's job is. Like she could have an amazing job. She could be a millionaire. She could be like some like high flying <laughs> exec who gets to jet around the world. Yeah. We just don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm trying to answer this question in a way that works for both someone who works at a fast food restaurant and someone who works in investment <laughs> banking. Like, just... All right. It's my turn again. Uh, this question is from Daniel who says, dear Hank and Charlie and Jimmy. Do you think science slash scientific thinking can determine right from wrong? Are there objective ways to measure morality? Well, that's okay, another an big one. one. Oh, wow. Yeah. Can we go back to the fart ones? <laughs> <laughs> this is too odd. <laughs> what do you think, Hank? This is a really tricky one. No, I don't think that there are objective ways to measure morality. I, I So, like... Kant had his idea of the categorical imperative, which was like, this is the way to create a universal morality. And the way to create the universal morality was, you know, you should behave in a way that you that you think if everyone behaved in the same way as me, then uh, then the world would work really well. But that doesn't work because not everyone will behave the same way as you. Mm-hmm. And people and different cultures believe and act in different ways. And that has to be okay. Because otherwise, if we are, you know, like the the one thing that that breeds is intolerance. And then saying like, look, the way that you guys live your lives is wrong and is destroying the idea of what it is to be human, and thus we must kill you. <laughs> and that's where all the big problems come from. Uh, I think that I think that uh, this sort of idea of moral absolutism is what creates a lot of conflict. Thinking about it, I feel like there maybe is a way to objectively measure morality without having that kind of like absolute morality. I guess, because I feel like in that case, isn't morality, it's ultimately what people perceive morality to be. So maybe if, if there was a way where you could kind of speak to every single individual on the planet and ask them every question, mm-hmm. every big important question, every small question related to morality and ask them what their opinion was, then you could come up with a percentage, maybe, that said, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of something like uh, petting a dog is 99% moral according to the human race. <laughs> that's the example. That's, that's the best I can come up with. Does that sound feasible or is that just, I'm just trying to figure out a way to answer this question where I can say yes somehow. And that was my best. The, uh, so the, the, there's two different things. There's, there's allowing every person to define their own morality, which I think you have to do to, to a, a small extent. But then there's the larger version of allowing a culture to define its morality. 
and uh and i think that 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 is a thing like you kind you can say like you know there is a structure that we define as humans it is the thing that we call culture and it is different for different people and we there is definitely uh i think there are ways to evolve that and to make that you know t- more tolerant is the thing that i tend to want cultures to be but in terms of the nitty-gritty specific details like uh petting a dog versus uh, versus a cat like which one of these things is more moral uh, there's definitely going to be some gray area there <laughs> and there's even weird gray area with uh with with something as seemingly unobjective or is seemingly as objective as like murder where you have some cultures that are like yeah like an america where it's okay to kill people as long as the government has gone through a lengthy and expensive process to say that yes we should kill this person uh because they did something very bad and in some countries that and in fact in my own personal morality i think that that is that is wrong uh, and then you have war, which is just like, how do we rationalize this? But we seem to. So I mean, that's I mean, m- m- morality in general is such a, a difficult thing to rationalize, and it, I think it'd be in, impossible to ever reach a full consensus with it because you've got mm-hmm. you know, literally hundreds of thousands of years of history that has kind of shaped our morality and the human condition. I mean, that's what it comes down to, isn't it? It's a very, it's a human thing, and I think. It's it's what you know. If we if we could reach a full consensus, we'd become a bit more robotic as a society. Yeah, and I I like the idea that we change and we evolve, and and hopefully we head in in good directions. And I think there's also a thing here that is the desire to scientifically be able to say everything. And there are just some things that we cannot scientifically talk about. Like there are some questions that science isn't supposed to answer. Science isn't science isn't designed to answer. Uh, Things like, what is the difference between right and wrong? Uh, which, you know, I think that's that's a human question that that every every human has to decide, and then collectively a, a culture decides, and then collectively the cultures join together and decide for the world. And you know, I think that greater stability will be had if if we have some standardization there, and that standardization involves tolerance of other cultures and other people. Uh, that's yeah and but like it's it's impossible to say Mm -hmm. i've got an even trickier question here angela asks dear charlie and hank and jimmy what were your best and worst subjects when you're at high school whoa Mm. the the big (laughs) questions here wowza um i really liked art you're into art. Really into art. Yeah, yeah, I was into art. I've kind of blocked the whole of school yeah, out. Yeah, I, I actually... I, I really enjoy it, so I've decided to forget about it. I've, I mean, I put this question in the notes, and I can't really remember... I, I like, why aren't my report cards searchable on Google so I could look this up? Oh, God, imagine. I don't, I don't want my report cards <laughs> out there. Um, I remember that I was terrible at sport. Uh, that was definitely yeah. my worst subject at school. I was the kid who would always have some made-up ailment that would stop me playing tennis or I whatever did that. it was. <laughs> yeah, I always had a note. Um, so yeah, I mean, sport was just horrible. I mean, my memories of sport at school were just 
cold, wet, grey days on a frozen rugby field having a ball thrown at me. I did that terrible thing where as soon as I realised I wasn't amazing at it, I pretty much gave up. Like yeah. my first, uh, when I first <laughs> went to secondary school, I was like, yeah, I'm going to do sport and it's going to be great. And I tried to play rugby and I tried out for the team and I got in the second team. So I didn't get in the first team. And then I was like, yeah. And then I just never was interested in sports again. That so, makes a lot of sense. Like since, since I've got to know you better through working on Serial Time quite closely, like we hang out like at least two or three times a week, you're actually secretly quite competitive. Oh, I'm very, well, it's not a secret anymore, but yeah, it's I am. It's out there. I am competitive. I just like don't make, like to make a point of it. Like, I don't like to make a point of it when we're actually competing. Yeah, and it's not in a horrible way. Like it's not in a really gross, just, like kind of soccer mom type way. Yeah. It's like, it's just, it's something that's there. I just like and, winning. And uh, no, I think it, what it is, is I just find myself getting really embarrassed when I lose. That's That's really what it is. Okay. Were you kind of the kid who, if he was losing the race, would just throw themselves down and like <laughs> pretend to have a knee injury? <laughs> um, I'm I was usually like it still happens right now. Like if I try and play a board game with people and I'm on like a team and I can't right, quite figure out the answer to give the like playing Pictionary and it's not quite going well, I would just be like mortified, like so horribly embarrassed. I would wow. just like not have a good time at all. Um, so that's that's me. Um, <laughs> Inside Charlie McDonald. I liked art. I didn't like PE. That sounds about right, really. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was. I sorry. Go on, Hank. I can't remember. I uh, I definitely did well. I don't think that I. Well, no, I was good at memorizing stuff, which was most of American education. So <laughs> I just I feel like I did I did well in most things. Uh, I didn't really ever get a C until uh, until college, but I do remember that I almost failed a class in landscape design. So, like the the the, the placing of plants around uh, around a yard. What? For, That's not a real class. Uh, for the surely. beautification of a home or a business. <laughs> what? And I almost failed that class because I skipped it too many times. Uh, but I I had a freak out. Uh, and I, I screamed and I kicked, um, and I ran, I stormed out of the classroom and I, I beat up a locker. And then the, the teacher was like, maybe we'll take a couple of these absentees off of your, off of your record. Whoa, and I'll, wow. I'll just let you have the B. So wow. yeah, I, I would love that class to see, but I, but I freaked out and it, it saved me. I, I would love to see, um, you two play a board game together. That would be incredible. <laughs> I think that <laughs> there would certainly be tears, gotten, possibly violence. Have we not done that, Hank? And I feel I like don't it think was we fine. have ever played a board game. I feel like we played card games before. I feel like I played a card game with you at VidCon last year. But no. Really? Yeah. Well, what obviously kind of it wasn't game? a big deal for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we, should, we should, though. We have uh, we, uh, the guys from uh, Drunk, Drunk Beer and Board Games... Drunk, my drunk beer and board games are going to be at uh, at VidCon this year. Uh, so maybe we can make maybe we could uh, play with them. Do you do you drink, Charlie? I do. Yeah. This is uh, this is going back to you know changing your um, what you think is moral to a certain extent. Obviously, drinking isn't sort of like a, a, a huge issue, but over the course of the last couple of years, I have started drinking. I was completely teetotal for a long time. Like I was teetotal. I knew I was teetotal before I even was old enough to actually drink. Like when I was sixteen, I was like, mm. I am never going to mm -hmm. drink. And uh, yeah, that has that has changed. If you look very closely in Charlie's last six vlogs, he's completely drunk in every single one of them. He can barely stand up. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Oh, <laughs> uh, shall we do another All question? Right. 
we get this is our this is our last question of the questions before we get to the news. Uh, this one's from Grace, who says, "Dear Hank and Charlie and Jimmy, my friend's little sister has a toy remote control car that started moving and lighting up on its own. They've had it for five years, and the batteries haven't been changed since they got it. They got used to it and never had a remote. Com- rem- th- they got." Uh, they got it used, and it never had a remote control. Recently, the headlights lit up and started moving a little forward and back. Uh, uh, that's not what it says. They got <laughs> they got it used. They got it used, and it never had a remote control. Recently, the headlights lit up, and it started moving a little forward and backward. Any idea what might be happening, Charlie? Is it a ghost? Um. Yeah. Exercise it. Yeah. Ex- exercise, not exercise. Exorcise. Exorcise. No, exercise it. Just give it a good workout. Wear it out, and then it will be a. <laughs> when it, once it's nice and tired, it will start moving. That's what I meant. <laughs> that actually would work yeah, if work. you want to make it stop moving. You just you just keep it moving for long just enough, or you know, take the batteries out. Yeah. No, that would be. Um. I. Yeah. It's definitely a ghost. I think. Uh, I think we've established on this podcast that when um, I when I was. Uh, when I was, I actually did a little research on this question because I wanted to see if like radio transmissions from nearby things, whether that was, you know, radio controlled microphones or somebody's radio controlled airplane that might have a really strong transmitter or, a, you know, a drone or something might be, uh, you know, making this thing move, like picking it, this thing might be picking up those signals. So I, I uh, that is possible. That is a thing that can happen. It is also possible that it just has a loose wire. But I did find in the first, like, like this was not an uncommonly searched question. And in the first, like, three responses, there was a ghost bulletin board forum <laughs> that was like, yes, it is probably a ghost. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, wow, that they sure did have that answer, uh, you know, really ready to go. I like the idea of the of the undead just deciding to possess a remote control car. Like that's how they're coming <laughs> oh back God. to planet Earth. I'm going to take over that remote control car. It's just a really bashful ghost. Yeah, it's just like, a bit shy. I don't really want to possess people yet. I'll just have a go with this little car. We'll just, just move it back and forth a little. That's, that's me done. Hey, maybe the spirit world don't get a choice. Maybe it was just like, oh, right, so I'm a ghost, but I'm a remote control car. Great. Brilliant. This is, I would watch this movie. <laughs> Uh, tell tell me more. I'm almost definitely sure. I was watching um, Freddie Wong's channel recently, and I saw that they. I think he did like a sketch of some sort where it's like a cop gets uh, possesses a remote control car, and that's like, and it's the, the, everybody loves the car, and it's it's great at doing its job. So I think that might be taken. <laughs> okay. I mean, my sister used to have um, a Furby, and that in itself. Oh, what used if a ghost possessed me. a Furby? And I mean, that was supposed to be Ooh. terrifying. Ooh. Oh my god! I mean that. It's like Chucky, except with a Furby. And it's just sort of hobbling around slowly, being menacing. It would be really hard to have a Furby actually hurt you, I feel like, because they, they can't grasp things or move their arms. But I know, they'd just have to crush you psychologically. Yes. <laughs> that's what would be so creepy about it. No, that's actually... They would actually, have to lay a finger on you. That would be a really, that'd be a really good, uh, a good, a good horror movie, just just psychologically crushing like they they trap you yeah. in a room and then they they just every time you fall asleep they they just scream at you and terror terrorize you and that's that's the whole movie is just not letting you ever forget that you have this this possessed toy in your uh, life 
That would be pretty low budget as well. I think we could do that if we wanted. This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep it's a huge time saver thrive market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods they got amy's banza burt's bees trobani honest kids kind mike's hot honey oatly olipop poppy salt I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. <laughs> and now it is time for the news uh, from Mars, the fourth planet in our solar system, and AFC Wimbledon, a fourth-tier English soccer team. Guys, do you have any AFC Wimbledon news for us? With glee and uh, amazement, I bring you uh, probably very important news. The, the the Dons have signed Scunthorpe United striker Lyle Taylor for, wait for it, an undisclosed fee. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Taylor... <laughs> I, don't, I I feel so bad for John. I feel so bad. I feel like I, I, I initially wanted to do this with like genuine enthusiasm because I feel like the most the best bit of like, you know, this whole news news section is the fact that John is so actually excited about this this football team that is so small. But um, it's, it's too difficult. Yeah. Lyle Taylor. They hired him. Undisclosed fee. He sky. He, he scored. Four times in 25 appearances last season. Whoa. Wow. Wow. Four out of 25. Is that good in football? I don't know anything about football. It's amazing. (laughs) It's incredible. I I I read that statistic. I didn't believe it. (laughs) So he really is worth his undisclosed fee. (laughs) Yes. Wowzer. I mean, I'm trembling with excitement right here. Like, I, I don't think I've ever been this excited before. Um, I've got some... Uh, oh, no, this is a continuation of that news story. It's not over, guys. Oh, no. Uh, Neil Ardley, the manager of the Dons, said he was interested in Taylor because he has very good movement and technique. His finishing is very good, and he is also quick. <laughs> <laughs> of course, um, I have no idea whether that's a big deal or not. It sounds impressive. I mean, that's literally the first thing that came up when we searched for AFC Wimbledon. <laughs> So I think that means it's good. I mean, it's a player. They got a new player. That's a that's a big football deal. That's definitely news. That's definitely news. It's, a, it's an actual deal. It has been made. It is a deal. It, it, yes, and now they have a new striker, which is a great name for a position on the football field. He strikes things. Sounds sounds very impressive. I think mostly balls. Well, you know, he's got good movement and technique. That's what that's the manager saying. That an expert. 
He's got good movement and technique, and his finishing is very good. What's not to like there? Also, I, I've done some more. And he is also quick. I've done some more research. <laughs> Wimbledon have not disclosed the length of his contract. They're very what secretive, that mean, aren't they? Oh, that's true. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they don't, we don't know how long he'll be There's there. There's just so much mystery wrapped up in this. <laughs> All right, I got some Mars news. In Mars news, uh, some very surprising rocks were found in Gale Crater by the Curiosity rover this week. The rocks, which are striated and dense with silica, are completely unexpected and very similar to granite rocks that one might find here on Earth. Most Mars rocks we find are clearly igneous rocks, but this granitic rock containing quartz and feldspar means that Mars probably billions of years ago had continental plates that drifted just like Earth's. Those plates have long since frozen in place, but these rocks indicate that Mars was once even more Earth-like than we previously imagined. That is really interesting. I, I found out recently that Earth was the only planet with uh, tectonic plates, and now that has been squashed by yet more science. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. But I, I, I've told you that I, I got to see the Curiosity rover before it was on Mars, right? Uh, no. I haven't told you that? I feel like I must have at some point. Either that or you just genuinely don't remember any interactions we've ever had. Um, <laughs> seems to be a possibility. I'm not a good rememberer. I will say that about okay. me. Okay, well, that's fine. Yeah, no, I got um, I, uh, a lovely man from, uh, from NASA showed me around the, uh, the jet propulsion labs before Curiosity was uh, sent off to Mars. So I got to, I got to see it. I didn't get to touch it, saw it through a window, saw lots of people working on it, but it was there in front of me and it was very exciting. That's yeah, so cool. big thing. And no, they do not. They do not like you to touch things like that. I got. I went and got to see some pieces of the James Webb Space Telescope, and they made me put on all kinds of special clothes. <laughs> and I didn't get to <laughs> touch anything clothes. at all. What do you mean by special clothes? Do you mean a pretty hat or? Yeah, I'm imagining sort of like <laughs> a, a Victorian uh, ball gown right now. No, it's just it was just a British schoolboy's uniform. <laughs> okay, so nothing weird. Yeah. This blazer and a tie, and <laughs> sure. Like, uh, I put my I put my collar on top of the blazer so that everyone knew I was a total nerd. <laughs> uh, I will say this about my experience at NASA, the, in the NASA jet, jet Propulsion Labs: the guy I met at NASA, I forget his name, and I feel bad about that, but he was so smart, and I spent like a good like eighty percent of that trip just sort of nodding while he said stuff that just went completely over my head. <laughs> he was so intelligent and it was so hard to keep up with him, but I still found it awesome being there. That's how I felt with the surprising rocks that you've just read out, Hank. I had no idea about any of that. <laughs> didn't understand yeah, I, a word. I'm not really a geology guy either, so I didn't know most of what I just said. I just said the stuff that it said in the article that I was paraphrasing. <laughs> I just love the idea that there are surprising rocks out there, that that's a thing. <laughs> I've never been surprised by a rock. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they, in Montana, we have these things called erratics. Uh, which are which are exactly surprising rocks is is exactly what they are. They are rocks that shouldn't be here, uh, so that they are erratic rocks, uh, and they they are mostly deposited by the recession of glaciers during ice ages. So there will be this big rock that just doesn't belong, and it's like, how did this giant rock that has nothing to do with the local geology get here? And it's like, oh yeah, it was carried along by a glacier, and then the glacier melted, and then it was there. Oh, that's really cool. That's cool. Yeah. That's surprising rocks. Yeah, surprising rocks. The new feature. <laughs> <laughs> and now in news from surprising rocks. <laughs> All right. Uh, that is it for this episode of Dear Hank and John without John and guest hosted by the hosts of Serial Time, Charlie McDonald and Jimmy Hill. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you. Does this mean that there are more Dear Hank and John podcasts without John in them? I think that we, I think that we are now equal Ooh. with the number of John episodes that there are, and and that next week we will we will 
It will no longer be mostly Dear Hank and John. It will be mostly Dear Hank and other people. <laughs> but then John will come back and we, we, will, we will overtake that, that total once again. Uh, though I wouldn't be surprised if it hits roughly 50-50 and kind of uh, uh, like wibbles around that mix for the next couple of years as John continues to do too many things. I think you just need to audition for a new brother, Hank. You need to do like an <laughs> X Factor style audition thing. Who will be the new John? He might be doing that right now. We don't know. Yeah, maybe. Look at all of these people he's talking to. Who knows? Oh, this could be the audition. All right, everybody. Our theme music is by Gunnarola. The podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. If you have any questions for us, you can please send them to hankandjohn at gmail.com. And as we say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to, to be awesome. awesome. <laughs> we like, did our best. Like a barbershop quartet. <laughs>